Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. I want you to turn me to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 12 through verses 18a. And when I say 18a, I mean the first half of verse 18. We'll pick up next week with the second half of verse 18. But today we're doing first, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, the first part of 18, and I'll begin reading. It says this, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. He gives the reason why his suffering has been brought about in his life. Here's what it says has happened as a byproduct of his suffering. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, to be sure, not everybody's with the program. Some people are on their own stuff. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter, Paul says? What, what does it matter? Only that in every way whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. He rejoices ultimately if Christ is preached. He doesn't care how you preach it. He just is concerned that Christ is preached, and he's concerned that God gets the glory. Paul gets his joy from God getting his glory. And so um, let us pray before we dive in and study today. Father, we thank you for... This awesome opportunity, God, to just gather and study and sit under the word of God today. Lord, I pray that you would just lean on us today, God. I pray that you would fill us up today. I pray you will open our hearts, our minds today, God. I pray that, that something transformative and supernatural will happen in our lives today as a result of hearing the word of God. I pray today, God, that we're not just hearers, God, but that we are doers in the word, that we hear the word, that we hold the word up to our face, God, that we walk away, but that we don't forget what we look like. Father, I pray today, God, that, that we will put everything that is happening in our lives that is out of our control in its right perspective. I pray that we will put it in its right perspective, and I pray that we would take the necessary steps so that you can ultimately get the glory and honor out of our lives. And so, God, today I just pray that Christ would be exalted, that Christ would be made known, that Christ would be lifted up, that today as a result of the preaching of the gospel, that Christ would be loved and Christ would be served all the more. And so, Father, we will respond today with our hearts, with our minds, with our mouths, with our hands, or whatever way you lead us to respond today, because we see this as an awesome opportunity to be able to hear the good news, the message about Jesus Christ and what he has done for sinners. And so, Lord, we thank you today. We praise you. We bless you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and the people of God said, amen. You may be seated. Our sermon series is called Rebuild because we are rebuilding, reestablishing our faith, our perspective on God in light of all the things that we've gone through 
in light of all the challenges that we have all faced that none of us could escape over the last year and some change. We, we've all collectively gone through a lot, and so this series is called Rebuild so that we can rebuild our relationship with God, but also that we can rebuild and have a proper perspective on the things that happen to us that are outside of our control. And so my sermon title is What Had Happened Was. What Had Happened Was. That, that is a, a, a favorite phrase of ours that we use tongue-in-cheek or that we use in a joking manner to describe something when it does not happen that we were supposed to do. Typically, we say what had happened was in response to someone asking us, hey, did you do this? Or hey, remember you told me that you were going to do this? And we tend to respond with what had happened was to let them know that things did not go according to plan, but something happened that I did not see coming. And so oftentimes when we say what had happened was, it kind of serves as an excuse for us not to do something. And oftentimes it is not just a joking manner, but we live this reality and sometimes we get stuck in our predicament because things happen to us outside of our control. We, we lapse in our faith. We fall off in our relationship with God. We fall off in our assignment at work. We kind of lose our vigor and lose our zeal in life because things happen outside of our control. And so this is what is happening in the text as the Apostle Paul has been in prison. He is under house arrest because he has been preaching the gospel. And so he is awaiting trial in Rome, awaiting trial for them to determine whether he will live or he will die. In the meantime, he writes this letter to the church at Philippi, a church that he planted, to let them know how he's doing. They, they are on pins and needles. They, they realize that the Apostle Paul is in prison because he's been preaching the same gospel that he used to save them and establish their church. And so they, they are concerned for him because they are wondering what is going to happen to him. They, they know that he is in grave danger and they're concerned about his well-being. How is he being treated? What, what's going to happen to him? Is Paul going to live or is Paul going to die? This is why they sent a brother from their church named Epaphroditus. They sent Epaphroditus to Rome to send Paul a monetary gift to support him and alleviate some of his suffering. But they also sent Epaphroditus to get a report on Paul's condition. They want to know how Paul is doing. And so they are sitting around at Philippi on pins and needles trying to figure out what has happened to their friend. They don't know if he's at the brink of death. They don't know if he's doing all right. They're concerned about somebody that they care about. And so they don't know Paul could be sick. He could be in a bad condition. And so Paul writes to them. He sends this letter by Epaphroditus to give them a report on his status to let them know how he is doing. But Paul starts off the letter as we saw last week. He didn't talk about himself and his condition. He wrote them a letter to tell them thank you and that I'm praying for you 
you that I have joy about what God is doing in your life. And so when they get to that part of the letter, they're probably still wondering, yo, that's cool in the gang, but we're still wondering, how are you doing, man? Are you hanging in there? Are you all right? Are things good? Are things bad? Are you going to get out early? Are they going to let you out on early release? What's going to happen? Are you going to be considered innocent? Are you going to be guilty? Are you going to live or die? And so Paul is writing partially to let them know that in spite of everything that is going on, everything is going to be all right. His response would have came as a surprise to, to the Philippians, just like it would come as a surprise to us. Somebody is chained to a soldier 24 hours a day in prison waiting to find out if they're going to live or die. Now, I want you to imagine for a second that you're not just in a regular cell, but that a, a soldier is chained to you 24 hours a day. I think they probably were expecting Paul to say what that old, uh, old prophet from Yonkers, New York said back in the late 90s, I'm about to lose my mind up in here, uh, uh, up in here. Shout out to Earl Simmons. And so his real condition would come as a surprise for somebody that is imprisoned unjustly, under house arrest, chained to a soldier around the clock, every hour of the day, no privacy. Surely he's battling anxiety and awaiting a trial, not knowing whether he will live or die. And so this situation for Paul is bad. I'm sure it caused him some pain and some affliction. Paul always, here's what I want to say, Although Paul gives them a surprise, Paul always acknowledges that suffering is a real thing. That, that for the life of a Christian, suffering is a reality. That, that just because you are saved does not mean that everything in your life is going to be a-okay. Sometimes when you become a Christian, the afflictions and sufferings increase more than they were before you got saved. Paul, Paul acknowledges he does not deny the existence of suffering or its severity in the life of a believer. But here's what Paul knows because Paul trusts in the sovereignty of God. But God triumphs over our suffering. God always triumphs over our suffering. There is hope because of Christ that God will redeem the suffering that we are who are in Christ experience. And God will bring good from our afflictions. This is not to say that suffering in itself is good or that God is the author of evil. God is not the author of evil. However, we do not go looking for pain and afflictions. Oh, I want to suffer for Jesus. I want to suffer. No, we're not supposed to go looking for suffering. It is to say that if we find ourselves in those type of situations or in those seasons where the pain and difficulty of life is too much, then God can bring about his purposes through what you're going through. God can use your suffering. And so today we'll see a lesson in how we view and how we respond to what happens to us. That, that we can learn today that we can bring honor to the Lord by how we handle our pain. We can honor the Lord by how we handle our pain. That there is a proper perspective and a way in which Christians grapple with misfortune and hardships. There is a way that we see and perceive things that are going on in our lives that are outside of our control. And Paul had a spirit-filled perspective when he found himself in a place that he did not want to be in. He settled in and from right where he was in the painful location, in the place of his agitation, 
agitation and unrest, in the place of trouble, in the place of pain, suffering, in the place of I've been here too long, Paul sits right there and what he says is this, what is happening to me is serving as an opportunity to tell others about the God who uses our weaknesses to bring forth his power. This is what's happening in the text. And I'm reminded what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 through 10. The apostle Paul said this. This is God talking to Paul. God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weaknesses. And here's what Paul says. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. Watch this. Watch this. So I take pleasure in weaknesses. Paul ain't crazy. Paul is just spirit-filled. He says, I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What if I suggested to you that you are at your best and your strongest when you're at your weakest? Why? Because that means that God is working through you. And so God uses our suffering and afflictions as a tool to bring about and accomplish his divine purposes. Spurgeon said this, suffering saints are living seed. Suffering saints are living seed. And this is what we'll see in the text. And Paul said what had happened was, verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment, that my change is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. So we think about Paul's life. Paul had a lot of stuff happen to him in the course of his ministry career. There's a lot of stuff happening to Paul, but Paul knew that God was working out his sovereign purposes through everything that Paul went through. What happened to Paul was unfortunate, but it wasn't the end-all, be-all for Paul. He, he knew that God hadn't forgot about him. He didn't think that God somehow dropped the ball on his life. Instead, he realized that God was that much more close to him. God has not dropped the ball in your life. I know you may not like where you are presently. I know there are some things that cause you pain and agitation and irritation and things that you wish you would change, you could change, and you would change it if you had the power to do so. But let me suggest to you that God is not far away from you. God is near. God is with you right there in the place of your pain. You need to know that reality. It's not about how you feel. It's about what you know. It's about what you know. And Paul is saying that God is right there with me. And so he saw this place, this imprisonment, this place he does not want to be. He did not see it as an opportunity to grumble or complain, but, a, but an opportunity for him to get to work. And his imprisonment, he says, has not even suppressed the work of the gospel. The message has not been hindered because of circumstances, but it has advanced the gospel. So if you, you lock up the messenger, shouldn't that kill the message? 
If you lock up the messenger, sh- shouldn't that kill the, the, the message? The, the, the message. But, but just because you lock up the messenger does not mean it kills the message. He says that it has advanced. It has progressed the gospel. It has blazed a trail for the gospel. My imprisonment is working out for God's good. It is blazing a trail. They, they thought that by putting Paul in chains, it would change the message, but the message actually was liberated. You, you don't believe me? That the word of God cannot be constrained. That the word of God cannot be held down. Do you know how much culture tries to hold down the word of God, but the word of God is still spreading like wildfire all these thousands of years later? You can, you can uh, uh, try to talk about Christianity. You can downplay it. You can, you can say it's not real. You can say, I don't believe that Bible stuff. It's made by men. I don't trust the Bible. How am I supposed to know it's real? You can say all of that, but the word of God is still flourishing and still saving souls to this day. Here's what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. Look at what he says. He he says, always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. That's the gospel. This is the good news I preach. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. But look at what he says about the word of God. I love it. But the word of God cannot be chained. It cannot be chained. You cannot, you cannot chain the word of God. The word of God has theme music. It's like, can't nobody hold me down. Can't nobody take my pride. Can't nobody hold me down. Oh, no, I got to keep on moving. Shout out to Mason Bethel and Sean Combs. Here's what Paul says in verse 10. So I am willing to endure anything if it'll bring salvation, eternal glory in Christ Jesus to God, to those God has chosen. The word is not bound. This is how we know that the word of God is not human ingenuity, but but, but it is a message of God's doing because you can't hold it down. You can't stop it. You can't counsel God. And you can't counsel his word. God is not just working spite what happens? God is working through what happens. God is working through what happens. And so Paul gives us two ways that his imprisonment has advanced the gospel. Number one, unbelievers are being evangelized. Number one, unbelievers are being evangelized, meaning people are hearing the gospel. Paul's imprisonment is advancing the gospel, number one, because unbelievers are being evangelized. Number two, the gospel is advancing because believers are being emboldened. That means that believers are preaching the gospel with with courage, without fear. Number one, unbelievers are being evangelized. And number two, believers are being emboldened. Let's look at the number one point. Paul says that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else. Now let me explain to you what the imperial guard is. The imperial guard was known as the praetorian guard. These were the people, the elite soldiers, the skilled military who guarded the emperor. They guarded Caesar. These were 9,000 of Caesar's elite soldiers. They they guarded the emperor. They took care of the emperor. 
emperor. They were his personal security forces. So one of these guys, not all thousand, not, not all 9,000, of course, but one of these guys would always be chained to Paul. They took a rotation. So they, they would, one guy would come, he would be with Paul for some hours, then another guy would come, and he would be chained to Paul for some hours. And so these guys were chained to Paul around the clock. They were on a rotation, 24-hour surveillance. I want you to imagine that, that you are literally chained in cuffs to another human being without any privacy. Now, I want you to think about all the things you do in 24 hours. But you can't do those things by yourself. Somebody's chained to you. Think about that. Somebody's chained to you every hour of the day, wherever you go and whatever you do. You talk about an invasion of privacy. And this is the condition that Paul is living in. And so here's the thing. I told you, scriptures told you, that the word of God cannot be bound. Paul was chained, but the message was, liber was liberated. And Paul used this opportunity that he could not escape from to tell the message and the good news about Jesus. Paul talked to every God that was on him about the Jewish Messiah that God sent to reconcile the world by dying for their sins. He talked to the guards about the meaning of life and how through Christ they could have forgiveness of sins. He talked to the guards about the good news that because of Christ, God was not counting man's sins against them. He talked about the suffering Savior and how his suffering and his being in chains was because of Christ. And so at some point, it had become clear to everybody around Paul that his imprisonment took a far more significant meaning than just him being in prison for a crime that he did not commit, just like you are at a job not for collecting a check but for a greater purpose. And you feel like you're chained to your desk. You feel you're chained to a place that you no longer want to be in. You are in whatever hard thing you have found yourself in for a greater purpose than to sit there and complain and contemplate. What if God put you there for you to be chained but for God's message to be released? What if there's a greater purpose for you being right where you are? That, that, that's the, the totality of the message today, that, that, that God can use you right where you are in spite of how you feel. That, that, that maybe God has given us all this message of reconciliation to share with people, not when we get to some uh, proverbial next level, but maybe he wants you to do it right where you are. Have you considered that you're already at the next level? That the next level is the level that God has you at right now? Are y'all here? Are y'all here? Am I talking to myself? But maybe God wants to use you right where you are. And it says that the message has got out, and people are knowing about the message. It spread all throughout Imperial Guard. Paul is telling soldiers, and some of the soldiers are now telling other soldiers. And Paul now is preaching a gospel to people who will never walk their, not walk their feet into a synagogue. Paul typically went into a synagogue to preach the gospel. Now Paul can't go into the synagogue, but Paul can right, actually preach right where he is. And now all of these soldiers who would never go to church, never go to a synagogue, are hearing the good news about Jesus. And so for you, you're looking at a situation where I need to be here, but God is saying, no, I can use you right where you are. 
But if we keep looking for next, we'll, we'll miss right where God has us. You are there because of Christ. This is how we should view our jobs. This is how we should view the sphere of influence that God has put us in. He says, my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Now, let me say this. Paul is not in prison because Paul did something wrong. Sometimes we can find ourselves in situations because of our own wrongdoing. Let me say that here. You ate 12 Krispy Kreme donuts and now you got a stomach ache. That's not because you're in Christ. That's because donuts were in you. Oh, my stomach hurt. I'm suffering for Christ. No, you're suffering because you didn't take any emodium before you ate all those donuts. So sometimes you put yourself in a situation and then you say, God has me here. No, you decided to be there. But if you're in a place where something happens to you that you didn't have any control over, you are at a job and you are find, finding yourself facing some persecution because you are a Christian or you're in some sort of, of spirit influence and you find yourself under persecution or you're in a family where people don't like you because of your faith, that, that is real suffering and persecution. But you stepping outside of the will of God, doing something, and then saying, I'm suffering for Christ because you made a decision to be there is not what he's talking about. He says, I am in Christ. My chains, my chains, his imprisonment is because he is in Christ. Paul is saying, I'm not just chained to a guard. I'm actually chained to Christ. He's in prison because he's in Christ. He has a union with Christ, a union with Christ. We are all united with Christ. We're all united with Christ. When Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, he said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He's in Christ. He has a union with Christ, a solidarity with Christ. And this is important for us to know about our sufferings and why we as believers go through stuff. We go through stuff because we share in Christ's suffering. We have a solidarity with Jesus. This puts our suffering in perspective. I think Paul made it clear in Romans 8, 17. Would you look at this scripture? Romans 8, 17. Here's what he says. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we share or to share his glory, we must also share his sufferings. And that is what they don't tell you. And that Jesus will only make you happy manual but that we share in his sufferings. You can't want his glory, but not his sufferings. You can't have one without the other. And Paul believes that this is what is happening to him on a smaller scale. He's sharing in the sufferings of his Savior. He counts it as a badge of honor when something is happening to him. He's not like, man, why is this happening to me? He realizes and he can recall, hey, I'm suffering because I am in Christ. I should wear this as a badge of honor. I don't like it. It's unpleasant. It's annoying me. It's irritating me. I'm upset about it. I'm angered at times. Sometimes I lose self-control. Sometimes I'm about losing my mind. However, I have a right perspective. The Holy Spirit reminds me, I may be going through this because I am in Christ and I'm sharing in the sufferings of my Savior. So, to put it together, I want to read one more scripture to you. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 through 21. I want to show this to you. Look at this. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us this ministry of reconciliation. Watch verse 19. That is, in Christ... God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Here's what he does for us. If you wonder, do I have a purpose in life? What does God call me to do? I can't find my purpose. I really don't know why I'm here. And you're looking at your job trying to determine your purpose. Here's your purpose right here. 
And here's what he says, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, here's your purpose, we are ambassadors, not because we're in Christ, but for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. This is your job every day. Here's what you tell your coworkers. Here's what you tell your loved ones. Here's what you tell the people at school. Be reconciled to God. And then you tell them the verse that I taught you from the beginning, verse 21, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so what you see in this text is that because we are in Christ. We do stuff for Christ. But we don't do stuff for Christ so that eventually we can be in Christ. We do stuff for Christ because we're already in Christ. Does that make sense? So this is what Paul is sharing with those who are, that he's encountering in prison. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. God is not counting your trespasses against you if you are in Christ Jesus. This is what he's telling them. And he's sharing this in spite of his circumstances, which leads to point number two. Other believers are seeing Paul preaching his circumstances, and they are being emboldened as well. This is leading to greater evangelism. It has emboldened others to say, you know what? I might not be comfortable being here, but God can use me while I am here. And others are now preaching the message with confidence, without fear. His imprisonment didn't intimidate, instead it inspired. Does your faith inspire anybody? It says, verse 14, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. The brothers have gained confidence in the Lord, not in their circumstances, but they have confidence in the Lord. And so Paul's captivity is setting other people free from fear, free to put their lives on the line for the message of the gospel. Paul is literally living on mission, and his life has inspired others to do the same. Your faith, your boldness about the gospel should inspire other people and give them courage to share the good news in spite of what they, they may face of what they may fear. Where you live and where you work, people of God, are no accident. We have to live on mission in view of God's sovereignty no matter where we are. Stop despising where God has you. Looking for next. Maybe the truth is your personal agenda and plans have been thwarted. Maybe you're not where you thought you should be or where you thought you would be. But have you ever thought maybe this is God giving you an opportunity to observe the situation where you are and preach the life-saving message of Jesus to people that you would have never met otherwise? That maybe you are where you are on purpose. The world tells us to complain. Reject your job. Your boss. Start your own LLC. You too can be an entrepreneur. Start that business for tax benefits. Tax benefits only work for people who have a lot of money. Just thought I'd give you that nugget for free. No, you need to boss up. You can't work for nobody. They make it seem like working for somebody is evil. But how is it evil when even Jesus was on the authority of somebody else? You don't need to work for anybody. 
You boss up. So, so if, if, if we should despise working for somebody, who's going to work for you? So maybe as believers, we should throw that out and get a new perspective and say, God can use and be redemptive wherever I am. That maybe my job that pays my bills, that keeps a roof over my head and food in my mouth and clothes on my back ain't the worst thing that could ever happen to me. That, that maybe it's not ideal, but it's ideal for God to use me right now. Have you allowed your circumstances to be a vehicle or a barrier? Or only, are you only bold when it comes to your personal causes? Right? Yeah, there are noble causes to talk about and stuff that we should tell people to do and rallying cries that we should have about the culture and society and things that we can do. But let me tell you something. This, this gospel that we have is the only message that we could ever tell anybody that's going to save anybody's life. It is the only life-saving message, but many of us struggle to share it. I love what one theologian said. Perhaps our failure to talk about the gospel to unbelievers is, tie, is tied to our lack of talking about the gospel to anyone, including one another. Many of us are afraid to risk our reputation for Jesus. Would your life say what Paul says? Well, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Would your life say that? Let me help you if you have fear. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew, Matthew 10, 27 to 28. Jesus said this. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the rooftop, on the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Paul prayed for boldness. For I am, for this is I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak it, to speak about it as I should. One of the psalmists says, I will speak of your decrees before kings and not be ashamed. So maybe God gives us an opportunity right where we are to proclaim the good news. But I'm not saying be obnoxious. I'm not saying use God as a come up. I'm not saying start your own ministry because you got a phone and a YouTube. I think a lot of us will be served better if we sat out and learned something first. That's just my old man on the porch barking at people who walking by. Perspective. Motives matter. And this is what Paul says in verses 15 through 17. Would you look at this? And then I'm done. He says this. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. He's talking about the people who've picked up the torch now that he's in jail. The people who are emboldened by Paul's testimony. Verse 17, the others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. So you have two groups that are preaching, one group motivated by love, another motivated by envy and rivalry. Motives matter. 
And, and Paul is like, some are preaching out of love because they, they're picking up the torch. They're taking on the torch that I've started. They've been emboldened. They know that they're supposed to preach. That is the mission of all believers. But some are doing it for the wrong motives and the wrong reasons. Some are preaching out of rivalry and envy. It's interesting that Paul preached the gospel, saved some people. They started a church at Philippi, and some people in the church are now trying to take advantage of Paul's imprisonment and use this as an opportunity to put themselves on his platform because he's locked away. And so Paul is talking about these people's motives because they're preaching. And here's the crazy thing. He says they preach Christ. Now, in other letters, you know Paul is always condemning false teachers. In the book of Galatians, Paul is condemning false preachers. Paul is saying that they're not even preaching a false gospel. They're preaching the full, accurate counsel of God. But what matters is not that they're preaching the right message, but the motive behind the message. Because sometimes you can tell the truth, but you can have the wrong motive. Sometimes your truth can hurt when it's not supposed to. But these guys are preaching it right. And they're preaching it. And they're preaching the full counsel of God, but they're preaching it in a reason, in a way, to take Paul's platform. And I just want to stop here and say this. Let's not use the gospel to further our own causes. Let's not use the gospel to compete with other people. That if you're in a church... Do what you're doing out of the right motives. Don't do it to put yourself in a position for, for you to prosper. But do it so that the gospel can be preached, whether you ever get a platform or not. And you have to ask yourself, am I doing stuff to compete with others? Am I constantly comparing myself to other people? Do, do I rejoice when my friends succeed or other people at work or ministry succeed? When, when other people get, get praised in church, does my chest tighten up? Because I thought it should have been me. They don't deserve it. They're only doing it for this reason. That's why we have to make sure that our motives are pure in all things. We don't preach to people to beat them up. We preach to people to save their souls. Motives matter. That's why the proverb says, guard your heart above all else, where it's a source of life. Guard it. Motives are important. But even when we don't know a person's motive, Paul says, I still rejoice because Christ is preached. That ultimately for Paul, Christ mattered more. He was so consumed with God and God's message that his focus wasn't what other people were doing and how they were doing it, as long as the gospel's being preached. And sometimes we just have to look at people, even if we feel they have the wrong motive, and say, you know what, even God can use that. And here's why. Because our motives aren't always right. Our motives are not always in the right place. We all have a temptation to compare ourselves. But let me tell you this, comparison is a joy killer. If you are looking at somebody's life, looking at somebody's achievements, looking at what somebody else has that you don't have, it will rob you of the joy that you can only get from Jesus. Because if you get what they got, you got to get the pain that came along with it that you don't typically see. But what if we live the life where we can say like Paul, what does it matter? 
only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. I just want God to get the glory. Paul doesn't care who gets the credit or the converts. Paul just cares who gets the glory. What matters to Paul is the gospel. God's glory mattered more than Paul's glory. So when we look at our lives, and we put things in perspective where God has us. Keep looking for these next things. When God has redemptive value in right where you are, what has happened to you does not have to be the end of you. But what has happened to you can actually be an opportunity for you to advance God's message. Therefore, God can get the glory out of your life. But I am in pain, Pastor. I know. But God can give us the right perspective in our pain. What has happened to us has advanced the gospel. Can somebody see what you've gone through in your life and be inspired to follow Jesus because of it? That you persevered, that you endured, that you may have been in chain, but your mouth wasn't. Therefore, the message wasn't. And this is what he's getting at. That what has happened to us, the misfortunes from childhood until adulthood, God can use even that to bring about his purposes. So tomorrow morning when you walk into that office with your head held high, dreading that walk, getting sick in your stomach, pulling up to the parking lot, being turned off by just the smell of the office, Getting up, rolling out of your bed with your pajamas on, flipping open that laptop, rolling your eyes, saying, I ain't got time for this today. Maybe tomorrow, the question then becomes, how is God using this to advance the gospel? Man, they work at me these long hours. I hate this schedule. They get on my nerves. Oh, there's this one person at my job. Ugh. Maybe that is the Roman soldier for you. Maybe this is the person that God has emboldened you to share the life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ to. And if you are in chains, if you feel in prison, I'm sure Paul remembered and it would serve us to remember well. There was also another man who was chained to Roman guards, who was imprisoned unjustly, who was beaten, who was battered, who was bruised, who was violently and savagely beaten for our sins, that he suffered for our sake so that we can have purpose in our suffering. That because he got out of the grave, you and I can get up from whatever our circumstances are too. 
that because there is life in him, there is now life in you and I. What had happened was is that the gospel has advanced. It's in Jesus' name. We hope you were blessed by the message today and would love to hear about how God is using this ministry in your life. You can connect with us online at outpouringorlando.com to share your story, request prayer, give financial support, or learn more about our ministry. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services if you're ever in the Orlando area. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.